believe now we do have Dr. Tom Tarter on the line with us. And uh, Dr. Tarter, is that you? Yes, it is. Hi, Hi, welcome. Jim. Hi. Good. Hi. Good to have you here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and thanks for taking the uh, the time here uh, to oh, join sure. us today. Um, we uh, well, let's start just again. Uh, we've had the chance to have you on the program before. Uh, just to remind mm-hmm. people who you are and why you're running for the United States Senate. Well, uh, I'm a urologist now retired and urological oncologist. I've practiced urology for 23 years in Central Illinois, and and I uh, raised my family here and. The real um, initial impetus to get into this campaign was health care, and we spoke about that in detail uh, last August on your show. Um, since then, other issues have become uh, very important. I've, I, it's been a real learning campaign for me. I've delved deeply into a lot of different issues. So um, I just felt like there was nobody with statewide name recognition and money who was going to challenge uh, Dick Durbin for re-election. He's been there for 23 years now. And I just felt like that's not how a uh, a republic functions. You've got to have opposition, and so that's me. Well, uh, it, it's you and four other people who think it's them. Uh, why, are, <laughs> why are you a better option than your Republican rivals in this primary? Well, as I told the uh, – it was either the Sun-Times or the Chicago Tribune, it's knowledge of the issues. You know, I really do my homework, and I just don't have the sense after after being at multiple candidate forums, going to their uh, web pages, reading what they've written, um, and doing debates. I just don't feel like they've delved into the issues deeply, and I, I think knowledge of the issues separates me. You know, and I also have a more advanced campaign. My goodness, um, one of the candidates has been in this uh, almost an entire year now. Another candidate came in a month after me, um, and, uh, you know, even in the third quarter when I was working full-time as a urologist, I raised the most money in that quarter on my FEC filing, and I've raised the most money overall. I'm the only candidate that's done statewide polling, mostly for messaging, and then, and so my messaging is more disciplined. They're kind of all over the map, and then I've hired a very experienced political team. So I think I'm positioned better than they are, but it's it's just a reflection of how serious I'm taking my campaign. I want to ask you about something that if we're lucky, by the time the next U.S. senator from Illinois is sworn in, it won't be an issue anymore. But it's a huge issue right now. And that, of course, is the coronavirus pandemic. How would you assess the the government's handling of this so far? And if you were in the U.S. Senate today, what would you be calling for uh, as part of the response to this? Well, I would be investigating the CDC. You know, the the CDC funding uh, actually was increased by Congress uh, in this last year. And I'm wondering why the CDC and or the FDA was so delayed on these test kits. My goodness. You know, this is uh, this is a real problem, Jim. And I would be the first to be up there. It's not I, I don't have any problem being critical of a Republican administration if they aren't doing the job for the American people. 
Uh, you have uh, talked in your uh, concerns about health care, about the, the dangers of socialized medicine. President Trump said last week that the, the government will make sure that we have free coronavirus testing for everybody. Does that fall under that heading of socialized medicine you're concerned about? Uh, a lot of people are looking at what we're going through right now in this country and saying we, we need to do more to make sure everybody has appropriate access to health care because a lot of people just don't right now. Correct. So my, my, my problem is that if we had, if we, okay, I would say that Italy has a pretty socialized system, but they, but they are way under capacity. I think it's the right thing to do in a national emergency to release money for testing. I'm, I'm hoping that FEMA uh, and possibly uh, the, the, the Corps of Engineers will increase our hospital capacity for what's coming. Um, no, it, that's not socialized medicine to offer testing uh, to Americans. Uh, I remember the polio. I, I was a little boy during the polio scare, and we just stood in lines and got our sugar cube with the polio vaccine. We didn't pay for it. We just got it. You know, and, and I think a lot of people, virtually everybody, I think, would agree with you. It's something we should do to address this immediate crisis to make sure that we're identifying and treating those people who are sick and potentially contagious. But we also have cancer as a, a national health crisis in this country. Heart disease kills a lot of people in this country. Why should those things not also be eligible for more government involvement to make sure that everyone has access to the kind of care they need? Well, I think I think the well, as you know, I've written a very detailed plan to reduce the cost of health insurance and health care for Americans. Okay, I don't think we need to spend 18% of our GDP on health care. In fact, we should be spending a lot less than that, like other developed countries. So that there are a number of things that we can do to reduce the cost of health insurance and of health care. But I'll tell you, Jim, 180 million people either have union-sponsored or employer-sponsored health care, and 70% rate it as good or excellent. You have health care. I have health care. Do you want to go on a single-payer government plan personally? When I talk to most people, they say no. But now, what about we, the option we, of that? We, For those who don't have the, the kind of insurance that I have, that you have, that all those other people you referenced, what about having at least the option of that for those individuals? I would say if you make less than 122% of the uh, poverty level for income, I'm, yeah, 122% of that, you're going to qualify for Medicaid. There, there are a group of people, 9% of our population, that find health insurance too expensive. So if they make more than 122% of the poverty level, I think that you could make it very inexpensive for them. It could be a government option, but I think they have to have some, even a small amount of money in the game. Otherwise, the system gets overwhelmed. You know, when, when California expanded Medicaid, this was supposed to give everybody health maintenance, right? All the people on Medicaid are supposed to have health maintenance. They're supposed to check in with their primary care doctor, they're supposed to get their diabetes under control, their heart disease, and whatever. And Medicaid is good for that. But what happened? Emergency room visits across the state went up 20%. We've got to have some – I mean, healthcare is a right, Jim, but it's also a responsibility. People have to be responsible. And if they have chronic conditions, they have to have continuous monitoring of those conditions. 
whether it's high blood pressure, kidney stones, diabetes, whatever. So we have to have some rules in place to, to uh, incentivize responsibility. Dr. Tom Tarter is with the Springfield Physician. He's one of the five Republicans running uh, for the nomination for United States Senate in tomorrow's primary. Uh, Dr. Tarter, you started off by saying that you, you got into this with health care as a major focus and then discovered a lot of other pressing issues as the campaign went on. What are a couple of the other uh, things you're, you're focusing on in this primary? Well, just one thing on health care. I'm going to put a plug in. It probably wouldn't be a bad idea to have a a senior physician and medical researcher as a senator from Illinois at this time. Now, the other issues I have, um, <clears throat> the other issue that is uh, probably the biggest issue for me uh, and for many Republicans is immigration. Uh, we need immigration reform. Uh, I do not support sanctuary laws. I have met with families who have lost loved ones to illegal immigrant criminals. And these people were then released from custody because of sanctuary laws into the community. And these are real stories that people don't actually believe. It it would have been hard for me to believe these stories, honestly, a year ago before I really jumped into this campaign. I've met with these families, Jim, and and these stories are real. We were talking about immigration, your opposition to sanctuary cities and things. Uh, I want to jump then to what you would do in the United States Senate to address that. Would you prohibit local jurisdictions from uh, making those decisions? And, And what would you do to an immigration system to make sure that we are getting people into the country who can uh, not only benefit us, but who would themselves benefit from being able to flee horrendous conditions in other countries uh, while still protecting the security of the nation? Well, that's those are multiple questions. I can answer each one. Um, the days of ICE raids are over. You know, this was very bad in the Bush administration. It was very bad in the Obama administration. The Obama administration uh, uh, pivoted and decided that we're not going to terrorize communities anymore. But if somebody is held in custody, ICE can issue a detainer for 48 hours just to see if there's any criminal history. And if there is, then uh, deport that uh, illegal immigrant. That's how it was. Now, uh, the sanctuary cities don't even want that. And in fact, I think it does. You know, I just heard the governor of New York today uh, with the COVID um, uh, emergency say state law trumps the uh, the local laws and federal law trumps the state laws. Well, that's true, except when it comes to sanctuary laws. So um, I think it is in violation of the supremacy clause of the Constitution. It will be decided in the courts anyway. As you know, four sheriffs in Illinois are suing the state of Illinois over that, and it's probably going to wind its way up to the courts. It'll take a while. But what would I do? Um, I, I think that asylum claims need to be heard uh, in, in a just and humane way. Some of these asylum, not all asylum claims are, are you know, bogus. Uh, some people are, in fact, fleeing uh, terrorism in their own country. So we need to hear these claims, um, and if an asylum claim is uh, legitimate, then the person is going to be um, given a pathway to citizenship, I guess, um, the and we've had asylees um, forever. Um, in terms of legal immigration, 
my neighborhood, we need more legal immigration, Jim. I really believe that. Our birth rate is declining. We need to um, we need to look out for the future needs of our country. My neighborhood is a very small neighborhood, but there are naturalized immigrant families from India, Pakistan, Jordan, Syria, and Hungary. And I can tell you, to a family, they don't like what's going on in immigration because they came in the right way, you know, and they had to wait. And they're here, and my kids grew up with their kids. Um, these are these are highly productive, totally assimilated people. I've been to the mosque of, of some of my neighbors. You know, they they're totally assimilated, um, highly productive, and we need to look to the future to have more legal immigration, and we can transition from a family-based chain migration system to more of a merit-based system. That doesn't mean that that an immigrant can't bring their immediate family members, but all the extended members of their family, I don't think so. I think, you know, we want to be compassionate. We want to have families together, but how, how far down the chain does that go? I think that's a question. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm almost I'm almost out of time here and I want to make sure we get a couple more. No, it's it's okay, But, uh, you know, it's busy (laughs) afternoon, obviously. Uh, Two more questions for you real quickly. Uh, We've got the primary tomorrow and there's been a lot of early voting, but a lot of people who would wait to the last minute. I'm I'm one of them. But we have this unprecedented situation now with the coronavirus outbreak, concerns about being in, in crowds. How confident are you that this election is going to be conducted properly and fairly? And what is your team doing to make sure that's the case? Well, you know, we have we have the usual poll watchers. And, you know, I've got people at the polls, the Republican Party does, Sangamon County Republican Party, and also up in the collar counties. It's, it's really not – it's something that, that really is kind of out of my control, I guess – we just have to put our faith in our local officials. I put out a, a, a statement uh, yesterday that I wanted everybody to follow um, federal and state um, instructions on this virus. And I said I support President Trump and Governor Pritzker's um, restrictions. And I just think we need to. This is a, this is not a time for politics, honestly. And what it's funny because it's voting it's voting day, but we really <laughs> have to come together in a bipartisan way to support our local officials and our state officials and our federal officials. Would it be better to delay this primary rather than to try to hold it tomorrow? Well, two states have. I I, I would favor that, but I'm a candidate, and um, I think we're just going to proceed because so many people have already voted. One last question. Uh, after tomorrow night, if you are, in fact, the nominee of the Republican Party to run against Dick Durbin, how do you win in a blue state where Donald Trump, who you have uh, praised and, and aligned yourself with uh, on your website, uh, he's not terribly popular here in Illinois? How, how do you win with Donald Trump at the top of the ticket? Okay, here's, here's the perfect storm. First of all, to some degree, I don't know how big, there is going to be a red wave uh, sweeping through the heartland, at least until this crisis occurred, there was going to be. So let's assume some degree of a red wave. Um, Some Democrats aren't going to show up to the polls. If Sanders uh, is once again denied the nomination, some of his supporters are not going to show up to the polls. The third thing is the president, in fact, is polling better in minority communities than any recent Republican president. And finally, 
there is some divine intervention here. Willie Wilson, who uh, uh, is a he's a son of a sharecropper. He's a multimillionaire businessman. He owns a medical supply company. He ran against Rahm Emanuel in, in his last mayoral run, has decided to run for United States senator as an independent in the general election. So all of these elements are going to open up a, a pathway for the Republican nominee to prevail. And if you have the right message and the right messenger, then I believe that there is a – I think it's um, – I think there's an even chance or maybe even a better than even chance. You know, Jim Overweis got 42 percent of the vote last time, better than anybody, and he was outspent three to one. So to some degree, there is some victor than fatigue. And that's another element of this perfect storm that's brewing. Dr. Tom Tarter, we really appreciate your time. I'm guessing you don't get to have an election night party tomorrow night. No, uh, no, I'm I'm not. Um, I've, if the press wants to come over individually, they can come back into my library and interview me. Um, I have made that offer. But I think what I'd really like to do is just have a small, you know, maybe 10 people or less, press conference at Republican headquarters if I prevail. Well, we'd like to reach and, out uh, the, to, the, next, the next day. We'd like to reach out by phone if we can tomorrow night as the numbers That'd come in, and we'd be looking forward to talking to you and hope we have many more chances to talk in the future. Dr. Tom Tarter, it's yeah. always a pleasure, and thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate it.